want to invite you to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians this morning, the book of Colossians. That's in your New Testament. Over fine Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the way they taught us to uh, remember where that was is a good Baptist way of uh, reminding us of the order of those books. Go eat popcorn. Uh, Galatians, no lie, I paid them to tell me that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We're going to start today spending a few weeks working through this small book and looking at the theme of how Jesus is to be above all. You know, sometimes we come to the Word of God and we seek primarily from it comfort. Uh, I think we did that last week as we were uh, comforted from the words of Scripture. Sometimes we come to Scripture and we need the Word of God to convict us. Maybe we need to be confronted with something in our lives. Uh, Sometimes we come to the Bible and it challenges us, and that is my goal over the next several weeks is to bring us to a point to where we can allow the Word of God to simply challenge us to put Jesus above all. Paul has a very simple point in this short letter that he wrote, and his thesis is basically this, though Jesus has done a lot of things for us, life is not about us. Though Jesus has done a lot for us, not everything is about us. We are not the center of the universe. Paul writes this letter to a church in a city called Colossae. We'll talk more about that in a second, but he writes this from a prison cell. You see, the apostle Paul had a habit of preaching about Jesus, and when people would tell him, stop preaching about Jesus, he would tell them, I will not. And he kept preaching about Jesus about how Jesus was alive and all that Jesus did. And so oftentimes they would put him in prison because he refused to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. This is one of those times. He is in prison when he writes this letter. Paul never met the people to whom this letter is addressed. In fact, the church at Colossae was started by a friend of his, a man by the name of Ep. Epaphras spent all week working on that, and they get here in the moment, and you're the Epaphras, and Epaphras wrote Paul and said, "Look, here are some things that are going on in the church," and Paul got concerned about that, so Paul wrote a letter in response to what he had heard was happening in the church. His his letter's pretty straightforward. He's he's got just a couple of concerns. One, he's concerned because the believers in Colossae, specifically at this church in Colossae, they were allowing the culture around them to influence them to the point that they had a distorted view of God. Their culture was causing them to conclude some things about God that very simply were not true. But another reason he wrote this letter is that the people to whom that received the letter, they were wondering, why is Paul suffering so much? I mean, if Paul is the messenger of God, why does he spend so much time in prison? Why does he spend so much time suffering? Why does he seem to be going through so many difficulties? And so Paul writes the letter uh, primarily to correct their distorted view of God and to share with them why he is willing to suffer and sacrifice for the gospel and why they should be willing to suffer and sacrifice for the gospel. Now this city that this church is in was a, a, a very prosperous city. It was part of the Roman
Roman Empire, which means it was influenced by, by Roman uh, uh, religion, which basically was, was a buffet style of religion. Uh, basically, at this time, when Paul is writing this, Colossae is filled with temples and shrines to all kinds of gods, and the general rule was to find a God that works for you. Does that sound familiar? I mean, just, it doesn't really matter if it's right or wrong. Just find one that works for you. And in fact, take a little bit from this and a little bit from that. And if you see that this religion has this and you like it, take that. But if you don't like that, don't take it. And just kind of, uh, just like a, a buffet, just kind of pick it. Just kind of when you go to Sweet Frog, the, the yogurt place, and you can put what kind of yogurt you want, a little bit of that. And a little, am I the only one that does this? I, I, in fact, I think I should go just to reinforce the, the truth of the, the Scripture. Uh, that, that you want this topping, not that one. This is kind of what they were doing in regard to their religion. And the, that culture had infiltrated the church. The believers at this church had a lot of other rituals, catch this, that they added to their faith in Jesus. They had what I would call a Jesus and mentality. They would say, well, well, we worship Jesus and we embrace these other things to supply whatever Jesus might not supply. They didn't reject Jesus. They just wanted to add to him. And it's into this context that Paul speaks some strong words. This morning, we're looking at the title of the sermon, the title of our series, Above All. Here's what he says into this context, Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. He, talking about Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus. All things were created for Jesus. All things created for him and through him. The focus here is obviously on Jesus. What does it mean when Paul says that all things were created through him, that all things were created for him? This is a declaration that Jesus is God. You see, the only thing that has ever not been created is God. And the fact that Jesus created everything that was created means that Jesus is uncreated, which means that Jesus is God. Colossians chapter 1 is a parallel of Genesis chapter 1, and Paul is saying that Jesus was the creative force he was the word that in the book of Genesis spoke all things into creation. Notice that Paul said Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. Now that does not mean that Jesus was the first thing that God created. That the word there for firstborn, that is a reference to position. In fact, the Greek word for firstborn is the word that we use for the English word prototype. Jesus is the prototype of creation. He is the template on which all things were created. He is the one for whom all things were created. Now, almost every religion 
in the world. Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, almost every religion teaches that Jesus was a good man. Almost every religion teaches that he was a great moral teacher, but they react strongly when you say that Jesus is God. There is something inherently threatening about Jesus being divine, even to us. Here's why. If Jesus is just a created being, if Jesus is a created being, even if he's a super strong, super wise created being, if Jesus is a, if he's not God, then you can look at him as a dispenser of good moral advice that you can put alongside any other great religious teacher that has ever lived. But if Jesus is God, then he must be the center of everything, and everything must be measured by him. If Jesus is God, he must be above all. And the summation of what Paul is telling us in verses 15 and 16, let this sink in, is that you were created by Jesus, and you were created for Jesus. Let that sink in. You are created by Jesus. You are created for Jesus. And because of that, my primary purpose is to discover God's purpose for me. And once I've discovered that purpose, it is to live from that purpose because I'm created by Jesus and I'm created for Jesus. Furthermore, the only way, the only way that I will find fulfillment in my life is when I know him and live out his purposes for me. He must be above all. Verse 17, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He holds all of history, including your life, together. He keeps it from unraveling. He sustains creation. He keeps natural forces from unraveling everything. In verse 18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, let me, let me tell you Paul's logic, and it's going to be real quick until we get to the third point, and we're going to spend, the, 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 we're going to camp there and spend the rest of our time there. Here's Paul's logic. Number one, Jesus is first. That's his logic. Jesus is first. He is the creator of everything. He is the template upon which everything is made. He is the one for whom everything is made. Jesus is not one of many beautiful things that God has created. Jesus is the creating force and purpose behind all that God has made. Jesus is first. His second point, Jesus went 
first. He talked in verse 20 about how the fullness of God was dwelling in Jesus. In verse 20, it was through Jesus that he reconciled to himself all things. Jesus went first. He pursued a relationship with us when we were not looking for him. He went to a bloody cross for us where he experienced torture and humiliation so he could purchase us out of the marketplace of sin, and he did that voluntarily, okay? Jesus is first. Jesus went first. Now, because Jesus is first and because Jesus went first, it's the third part of his logic, Jesus should be placed first in our lives. That's his logic. Jesus is first, and he went first, and because he is first, because he went first, we must place him first in our lives. You see, a God who is first and who went first cannot be just one God in a list of many gods or one of many important priorities in your life. A God like that must be placed above all. Jesus is more than just an important chapter in your story or your life. Jesus is the book in which all other chapters are written. This God must be placed above all. You see, what's true in our theology should impact our practice. What we do must be driven by our doctrine. What we believe must impact what we do. Let me take you back to verse 18. You look at it with me. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. <coughs> Why? that in everything he might be preeminent. So that in everything he might be preeminent. In everything he might be preeminent. Your turn. Join me. In everything he might be preeminent. One more time. In everything he might be preeminent. Not some things, not most things, not almost all things, but in everything he might be not close to being first, not almost preeminent, but he may be preeminent. He must be above all. Jesus is not someone you put on a list of priorities. He is the page on which all priorities are written. He is why you exist. You were created by him. You are created for him. And that means that he can never be just an important commitment in your life. He can't even be even a, a high priority. He must be above all. He has to be the foundation and the center of everything. And I'll tell you, I've already prepped my messages all the way through these next five weeks. I've never had a series of messages that in my preparation convicted me such and challenged me such as the words of Paul in the book of Colossians. So let me ask you this question. A question that I asked myself and I had to really struggle in answering is Jesus 
in the above all position of your life? Or is he simply one of your many priorities? Is he important to you? Or is he first in your life? I don't want a church answer. I don't want a Sunday school answer. I don't want, well, the preacher asked, so I better give him this answer because that's what I think he wants to hear answer. I'm talking about in your life right now, think about that question. Is Jesus above all in your words, in your deeds, in the actions of your life? To help you answer that question, answer this one. What gets my first and my best? What receives my first and my best? Because verse 18 says that in everything Jesus might have preeminence, that he might be above all. This means that Jesus should be above all. He should have first place in our affections. He should be the one that we love the most more than anything else. It means that Jesus must be above all. He must have first place in our priorities. His agenda has to rule our lives. This means that Jesus must have uh, first place. He must be above all in your time. All of your daily and weekly commitments of all of those, your commitments to the kingdom of God should be the first to be fulfilled and the last to be canceled or postponed. This means that Jesus should be above all. He should be first in all of my talent. God gave you a talent for a reason. God has given you a skill set for a reason. Does the kingdom of God get the first consideration when it comes to how you use your skills and your abilities? Do you, you, do, do, do you view your workplace as a mission field? Do you view your co-workers or students, your classmates as people for whom Jesus died? This means that Jesus must be above all. He must have the first place in your treasure. Oh, in your treasure. Here we go. The preacher talking about the treasure. He's talking about wallets and purses. Hang on. Putting Jesus above all is a stewardship issue. Jesus does not deserve our leftovers. He deserves to be above all in everything we say and do. He is first. He went first. He must be placed first in our lives. And that doesn't come easily, or it doesn't for me. I've never had a problem making myself first. I've never had a problem being selfish. I cannot recall a time my mom and daddy taught me how to be selfish. Same goes for you. And Paul is going to challenge us all through this book about making the choices that put Jesus first. You see, when you sit down to breakfast, let's say we're having bacon and eggs. There are two animals that contributed to your breakfast, the chicken and the pig. The chicken made a contribution. The pig went all in. <laughs> the chicken just showed up and isn't really changed by the experience. His role was her role was more of a transaction. Trans chickens, here we go. 
You heard it at First Baptist first. Oh, the pig, however, is fundamentally changed by the experience. Jesus deserves more than a contribution. He deserves more than a transaction. He deserves for our lives to reflect that he has fundamentally changed us and that he is now above all. So we're going to get really personal. And I'm not trying to get up in your business. I'm going to let God do that. And I don't want you to answer anything out loud. But as we try to put a bowl on this this morning, here's what I want you to think through. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to ponder your life right now. Don't just say, I'm just going to shut up to the preacher. No, no, I want you to ponder your life right now. In what area of your life have you not yet placed Jesus above all others? If you can, and I say this with all, with all the pastoral love I can muster. If you cannot identify one of those areas, or if you honestly don't think that you have an area that has yet to be fully surrendered to Christ, then you have not placed Jesus above yourself and your own pride. So if you think you don't have anything, I just gave you something. It's you that Jesus needs to be above all. Is Jesus above all in the way you earn and spend your money? Is Jesus above all in the way you speak and interact with other people? Is Jesus above all in how you spend your weekend? Is Jesus above all as you complete a task for your job? Is Jesus above all when you're sitting behind a computer desk and no one else is watching? Is Jesus above all and how you relate to your spouse. It's Jesus above all and how you parent your child. It's Jesus above all and how you serve him through your church. As I asked myself those questions this week, I had to say no in a few of those areas. And I had to have a business meeting with the Lord about that. But I'll tell you what this scripture speaks to my heart about this issue is that once you have identified an area in which Jesus is not above all, your task is to then offer surrender and obedience to him in that area. That's your take home for today. Whatever area Jesus is not first, that he is not above all, your task is is not to dwell on how poorly you've done in that area and beat yourself up over that. Your task is to begin today surrender and obedience to him in that area. For some of you this morning, your surrender to Christ might need to happen for the very first time today. Christ begins his above all reign in our lives 
with our salvation. Has there been a time that you ask him to rescue you from your sin? If there's not been a time, you can do that right where you are. You can simply cry out to Jesus, confessing your sins to him, asking him to be your Lord and Savior. If you've got questions about what that means or if you make that decision today or maybe there's other decisions you need to make today, decisions to to follow Jesus' example in baptism or to surrender some aspect of your life today, Jesus desires for you today to simply surrender yourself to him. Whatever area of life you have yet to let go of, let go of it today and surrender it to him. Make him above all. None of us in this room are perfect. We are broken people who live in a broken world. And there are areas in all of our lives in which Jesus is not above all. And I don't know what area that was when you walked in, but I know that you can get that right as you walk out today. And you can be prepared to put Jesus above all. You'll wake up tomorrow and guess what? You'll have to fight that battle again. And you make the daily choice to make Jesus above all. Will you slip? Will you stumble? Will you fail? Absolutely. But when you do, the grace of God is there to catch you. And the mercy and the goodness of God is there to follow you. As we prepare to end our time of worship today, we want to issue this time of commitment to you. If there is a decision you need to make, there is in the pew in front of you, there is a green decision card. Your next step, not green, it's yellow. (laughs) Uh, If you find a green card there, it's not supposed to be there. Uh, There's a yellow card there about your decision. And if there's a decision you make, you just indicate to us what that decision is. As you leave today, you just drop that in the receptacles that we have outside these uh, our, our main exits. Also, if you're our guest today, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. And you can take a gray Connect card and complete it and let us know more about you. Or you can go to our website and do both of those. You can do your Connect card and your Next Step card as, uh, as you leave today. To our members, you have the opportunity each Sunday to give your offering. You can do that as you leave today. If you brought it with you, you can do that, and we'll use that to further the mission and the ministry of First Baptist Church. Remember that this week, uh, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we'll have our midweek activities. We hope to see you back here next Sunday, 915 Connection Groups, 1030 for our worship service. We hope that you'll be here. Mr. D. Bell.